Good morning. Great to see you guys here. Awesome. We are uh, in the middle of a series called X's and O's, and uh, I was enjoying the sound booth dancing back there. That was pretty fun. Uh, I saw you. <laughs> Listen, we're talking about love and romance and dating and marriage and intimacy and all this great stuff. And last week we started on that, and a guy came up to me after, after the service and said, oh man, that was really good. Really good and a little bit awkward. <laughs> I said, awkward? He said, yeah, it was great. And then you start talking about that physical stuff. Uh, and that was awkward. And I said, I get it. I get it because in church, we don't ever seem to talk about these things. And yet church is exactly the place we ought to be talking about love and dating and romance and marriage and sexuality. Why? Because God is the giver of those things. In fact, he wrote an entire book of the Bible about it. And uh, it's largely gone untapped, but he wants us to know how to have great relationships, great marriages, love each other well, enjoy physical relationships with one another in the context of marriage in such a way that it is a blessing to us. He wants that for every one of us. So today, we're going to talk about how to keep your romance red hot in marriage. How's that sound? I know we just had Valentine's Day, so this, you ought to be feeling good about yourself right now, okay? You ought to be feeling like you, you're kind of on the upswing, uptick right here. But you know, the deal is we can't just rely on Valentine's Day or, um, uh, or our anniversary and figure, hey, we can, we can get a tune-up a couple times a year and keep our marriage together. That's really not how it works. Now, that's great if you're checking the batteries in your smoke detector, okay, twice a year. But it's not so good when it comes to maintaining a vibrant marriage. You know, uh, this, this message is really pointed towards the guys in, in, in a lot of ways, and we're going to see that in a second. And I'm going to bang on you for a second because I, I believe most guys care more, not care more, but they pay more attention to the maintenance of their cars than they do the maintenance of their marriage. What? <laughs> I know, I'm astounded too. I mean, think about it. We put gas in it every week. We, every uh, month or two, we're adding uh, oil and checking that and rotating tires and making sure everything's right because we know there's got to be a systematic approach to making sure this thing's running right. Philip, Philip's my mechanic in the back, and he said, you don't do that. I said, no, I pay you to do that. That's um, even better. <laughs> but we don't do that too often when it comes to our marriage. I can tell you this, marriages are under attack today. We used to live in a very pro-family, pro-marriage culture. We don't live in that world anymore. We don't live under a philosophy in our culture that says, let's sacrifice for each other and let's, let's uh, put another person's needs ahead of our own and let's make sure that you give more than you receive. Those are foreign concepts in our world today. And so marriage is under attack philosophically from the messages we get from media and every, uh, everywhere, everywhere around us. Marriage is also under attack if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, you have an enemy that would love to see your marriage fail. You realize that? They would love to see your Christ-centered marriage fall apart and break down. He longs for that. And so it's under attack. And I can tell you this, uh, you bring your 
filthy, sinful self, and they bring their sinful self into a relationship. You've got a nature in you, and I've got a nature in me that wants what it wants, when it wants, and how it wants it, and it's inherently selfish. And so we have an attack from within that we got to worry about. No, our marriages need this. We need to know how to love each other the way God intended for it to happen. And so I can tell you this, I wrote this a few months ago, and at that time, I was not remembering all these principles I'm going to share with you today. And as I went back over these passages, it did me a lot of good to remember what my part in it is in a relationship and how I'm to love my wife like Christ has loved me. So we're going to jump in. Before we do, I've just got to realize there's, there's marriages all through this room that need this today. Or maybe you're looking forward to being married. You're going to need to know this today so you can live it tomorrow. Okay. So let's jump into uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1. I said last week, get the book of Isaiah, take a left, and you'll find it. Okay. And so chapter 4, verse 1 says this, how to keep our marriage red hot romantically. Number one, he says, how beautiful you are my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Okay. He says, your eyes behind your veils are like doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. He starts off by saying, listen, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. There's not a woman on the planet that doesn't want to hear that over and over again from her man. She wants to know that he appreciates her and he loves her and she thinks that she's beautiful. It's off to a good start, right? He says, oh, beautiful you are, my darling. Then he says, your eyes are like doves. I, we mentioned this last week. Anybody write that in your Valentine's card? Your eyes are like doves. Does that sound good? My wife's like, no, 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 you can't say that because you don't even know what that means. I said, I do now. What he means by that, and he says, your eyes are like doves. He's saying there is a tenderness. There is a gentleness in your eyes. I love how you look at me. You still regard me. Um, and uh, he just likes how he looks at her. And this dove, you got to understand, in Jewish culture was something special. There was other animals that were used in sacrifices, but there was only one bird used in sacrifice towards God in worship, and it was the dove. It was the only clean bird. And he says, when I look into your eyes, I see purity, I see holiness, I see character. I love what I see in your eyes. Is there is a person I can trust and I respect. I love looking into your eyes. Your eyes are like doves. So now I can say it to you, baby. Your eyes are like doves. He sees a purity in her eyes. Okay. And he's starting on this string of very specific compliments, starting with her eyes, because he's, he wants to shower, shower with, with, with these compliments. Now, if you noticed, he said, behind your veil, right? So this is actually Solomon, Song of Solomon chapter 4, is actually their wedding day where Solomon marries his bride. And you think, well, sure, he's complimenting her. It's their wedding day. Of course, he's going to go over the top. I want you to realize something. These same verses can be found in chapter 6 later in their marriage. And we're going to come back to that idea in a second. And it's the same language he uses in dating that he does on his wedding day, that he does in marriage, that he wants to elevate her and compliment her. And he, he uses the same language because he is consistent in his adoration of his bride. And so he says, your, your eyes are like doves. He says, your hair is like a flock of goats. Now, let me explain that. <laughs> you don't want to go there, guys, okay? 
That's not a good line. Not even on a holiday, a Valentine's card. It doesn't, just doesn't sound right. But think about it from a shepherd's perspective. These black goats coming down a mountain. I mean, that looks like money to a shepherd. That's a pretty thing. But this woman was dark, and she has this dark black hair. And he sees this, the, the hair cascading down off her shoulders. He says, man, I love your hair. They're beautiful like a flock of goats. Now, you need your own analogy. Don't use that one. I mean, you know, some of you guys might be like, hey, you're pretty as a deer in the woods, you know. Uh, even prettier in the back of my pickup truck, you know. Um, Here's pretty some motor oil cascading down. Now, I don't know. I don't know what your analogy is. But find one. <laughs> your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shown coming up from the wash. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. He says, I like your mouth. Your teeth are clean. A sheep just shown would have been white. He says, I, I appreciate you take care of your teeth. And he says, each one lines up with the other one. It has its twin. They're all there. And I dig that about you. And the older you get, the more you appreciate. You got them all. He says, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. He's looking at her lips. He says, it's delicate, it's, it's juicy, it's beautiful, I'm digging it. You feeling him? He's kind of getting in the mood here. He says, your temples behind your veil are like halves of pomegranates. Pomegranates were a delicacy that you would eat. He says, I would love to just nibble on the choiceness of the sides of your face. All the teenagers are getting weirded out. This is awesome. But this is, this is marital love. You can almost see his hand caressing the side of her face as he's describing her beauty to her. Then he says this. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. What's he mean? He's saying your neck is... Upright. He says, you hold your head high. I love how you carry yourself. You exude confidence and poise and character. You show strength. See, part of her beauty isn't just his physical attractiveness to the features of her face. He's attracted to her persona, to her character, to her integrity. He says, you carry yourself in such a way that it draws me to you. And so he starts with her eyes and her hair and her temples and her mouth and her neck. You see where he's going? Keeping this PG-13, so we're going to skip a few verses. <laughs> you following me on this? You can go back and read that with your spouse later. Here's his summary verse, verse 7. You are altogether beautiful. My darling, there is no flaw in in you. He says, you are perfect for me. Long before Ed Sharon sang perfect, he was singing the perfection of his bride. He said, listen, you are perfect for me. There's other women on magazines and on shows, but you are the one for me. You are the apple of my eye. No one is as beautiful in my eyes as you are. 
See how he elevates her. If you want to keep your marriage romance red hot, you learn how to elevate your mate. You learn how to breathe words of life into their heart, and you say the things that bring them up and bring out the best in them. He's pouring his, her worth right back into her. He knows how to make her feel special. He makes sure she knows she feels special and that she is special to him. See, if our spouses don't get this from us, let me just ask you, who are they going to get this from? You want to know how affairs happen? For a woman, it's when she's being neglected and there's someone else comes along that shows her the attention and the affection and pays compliments to her that she longs to hear. And her heart gets carried away to another man. You want to know how a man's heart gets, is when he feels disrespected and unworthy and unvalued in his home, and he finds respect in his work or in his career or in another person's words, and he would be drawn, his heart would be drawn away by the words of another. No. God says, listen, you give to each other what you both long to hear. You know, it comes so natural to us in dating to say these kind of things, to go on and on about their beauty or their character or what you love about them, and, and you're, just, you're drawn to those things. And somehow, along the way, we get married and we stop doing the very things that we did when we were drawn to one another to say those things. We just sort of get lazy, life gets busy, and we take one another for granted. But before that, we, we would want to, remember, spend time with each other. We'd want to get away with each other. We'd want to have date nights together. We'd want to go on walks. We want to have meaningful conversation with each other. We'd want to know what's going on inside the heart of our person that we love. And we'd long for those things, and we pursued those things in dating. And somewhere along the way, we forget to keep doing those things. Well, not, not Solomon. Not Solomon. Verse 8, he says this. He says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Lebanon's where he lived. He said, let's get away. Let's go off. Let's get, just spend time, me and you. Let's get alone together. If the kids are in the house, let's lock them out of the bedroom. They can fend for themselves. And let's just get eyeball to eyeball with each other. Let's spend time together. I want to be with just you. And I, we have tried to practice this in our marriage for the better part of 23 years to spend time together. And we've had people ask us about it. And we always recommend that married couples continue to date each other and pursue each other and spend time together and be together and not just be about the kids and not just be about their careers, but to really take time to focus on one another. And over and over again, we've heard every excuse, man, we're too busy, we don't have enough money, the kids are too little, yada, da, 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 da. But then I think about Solomon. Solomon was the ruler and the king of Israel. Israel was the greatest nation on the planet in his day. All uh, kings would come to Solomon and see his glory and splendor, and yet Solomon had time for his bride. 
she knew she still had first importance. It was, she was more important to him than his work. She was more important to him than his kingdom or his career. He was more important to him than his kids. He made his wife our priority, and I promise you he's more busy than you are. And what he did, he didn't say, let's just, let's just put on Netflix and fall asleep together, although that's sort of my dream date once in a while. I'm not going to lie. He was energetic about it. He says, let's go somewhere. Let's do some things. Let's get engaged with one another. Let's put something into it. I want to minister to you. I want to share my heart with you. I want to do things for you. I want to share experiences together. There's an energy about his pursuit of his bride. Guys, my, the best thing I could think of was, uh, well, you need to pursue your spouse like a deer hunter does a deer. That needs explanation, doesn't it? <laughs> but I, in, in the 10 years I've been in Jackson, 11 years now, we've been in Jackson County, I didn't know a thing about deer hunting, but I, I've done it a, bit, a little bit now. And what I've realized is deer hunters that are serious go get into it long before the season is here, don't they? Because they've gotten cameras out and they're watching to see where the big buck is, right? And if they're serious about it, they put a feeder out and they draw them in. And they put stands out or blinds out and they're prepared. So when opening season comes, they are ready to get the deer. They've studied the patterns of their prey and they're ready to pounce. You know what? Our spouse deserves preparation. They deserve for us to, to be thinking ahead and planning ahead and pouring some energy into it. We can put so much energy in planning our career and our calendars, and yet we put so little effort into planning time with our spouse. Solomon does. He says, let's get away. I've got a plan. Let's get, let's get away together. You know, um, <clears throat> I'm always convicted when I, when I go into this little room. It's actually our bathroom. And I've got all these poems and letters that I've written my wife. And she thought enough of them to, to frame them and to hang them. Now, they're not hanging in the living room. Hanging in the toilet room. <laughs> Might tell you a little bit about <laughs> how good a writer I am. But um, I used to write her these things. And I, I remembered that uh, when we were dating, there's a few songs that have always meant something special to me about her, and I recorded them on a cassette tape. Remember cassette tapes? And she would pop it in the car, and she could hear me singing to her. And so for our 10th anniversary, I said, you know what, I, wanna, I, wanna be, I want it to be special. I want to put something into this. And so I hadn't had a piano lesson since fourth grade. But I decided for our 10th anniversary, I was going to play a song on the piano and sing it to her. And the guy that was working with me had to dumb this song really way down. <laughs> but I learned she's got a way about her. And I played that song on a grand piano in the church that we were at. And I sang to her on our 10th anniversary. That was, that's as good as it got for me. For our 20th anniversary, I said, I'm going to top that. I'm going to learn another song on the guitar, and I'm going to play her a song on the guitar and sing to her. And I realize my fingers don't bend that way. And I, for three months, I tried. I borrowed Kevin's guitar, and I could not do it, so I failed miserably for our 20. But I tried. She's worth the effort. 
She's worth me planning ahead. She's worth me pouring energy into. She needs to know she's that important to me, that she's special to me, that I'll take time out of my schedule to let her know how special she really is for me. He says, you have stolen my heart. You've stolen my heart. My sister, my bride, you've stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. He says, I still get excited when you look at me. I still, uh, man, it just overwhelms me at times to think you're really my bride. He says, you're the only one for me. You've stolen my heart. And if I could choose a bride all over again, I would choose you. You're the special one for me. Now, he calls her my bride, but he also calls her my sister. That sounds really weird, doesn't it? You got to understand, in, e in Eastern culture, if you were married, you weren't allowed to touch each other in public. That would have been taboo. There's still countries like that today. They cover up and they don't touch each other. But you could touch your sister in public and give her a hug and show affection. And he's saying, listen, I want to treat you like a sister and that I want to show my affection to you all the time. I don't want to be restrained. I want to put my hands on you and hold you. I want to hold your hand. I want to embrace you. That's okay to do, right? Five years into marriage, 15 years into marriage, 50 years into marriage, that you still hold their hand and you still walk them to the car and you still hold them. He says, I don't want to hold you like my sister. He says, how delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. I love how you love me, he's saying. You're good to me. He recognizes how she loves him, that she loves him better than he deserves. She has loved him well. How often do we do that, to take time to recognize how your spouse has loved you, the sacrifices they have made? Do you realize the more sacrifice they make on behalf, the more you ought to thank them for those sacrifices? Now, it's well documented. My wife doesn't love to cook. Right, baby? We started with hamburger helper 23 years ago. We even tried tuna helper. Don't recommend that. And she's come a long way. You can tell. <laughs> she's come a long way. But I know she doesn't love to cook. She cleans our house. She does all these things. She does the laundry. She, she loves us well. She loves my family well. But every time she cooks, I try to make it a point to say, thank you for feeding us and kick the kids under the table. It's great, isn't it, kids? <laughs> because I know the sacrifice she makes to cook us dinner most nights. And I thank her for it. See, the greater the... the, the um, what they like to do the least is what we ought to compliment the most and thank them and recognize that they've loved us well. He says, how more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. He's so satisfied in her love, so content, not comparing, not wishing for something else content in her love. If there's anything we need in the marriages in America today is contentment with the spouse that God has given us, that we can be satisfied in their love. Can I tell you, if you don't feel this way about your spouse today, you can. If you don't feel this way about your spouse today, you can. But my challenge to you is to not wait 
Don't wait until they initiate. Don't wait until they say they're sorry for something they've done to you. Don't wait until you feel like it, that you feel all this big heart of love. No, no, no. Don't follow your heart, lead your heart. And the way you lead your heart is you, you demonstrate through words and actions your love for your spouse. That's what he did. You say, what's his wedding day? Of course he was going to. Chapter six, he uses the exact same words. She would have thought back to her wedding day and back to when they were dating. He used the exact same words to shower her with love. And he did it over and over again. Let me ask you, why are we so stingy with our compliments? Are you like me that you think... You're going to run out of compliments if you give out too many compliments to, to people that you're going to be missing something or deficient or something. Why are we so stingy to, sh to tell people what would absolutely make their day and find things in their life and you point them out and go, I see this in you and I think it's awesome. I wish I was more like you in that. Man, it's just, you're a pleasure to be around because you are this way or you do these things. Dale Carnegie, in his famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, said, we are somehow reluctant to give others the warm sunshine of praise. Why is that? We ought to be generous. We ought to be, we ought to be uh, overflowing to lavish praise on others, especially our spouse. Now, I want to point out, there's a difference between flattery and a true compliment, Flattery is just pointing out in something, someone, something they already know about themselves. It's the obvious thing. It's the shallow thing. It's the, it's the unthoughtful thing. A compliment is when you observe something in someone that they don't see in themselves, and you point it out, and you make a big deal about it because it's something special and unique to them. And you bring out the best in them. You elevate them. You help them see something in themselves that they don't see. That's a real compliment. Carnegie says, flattery seldom works. It is telling the other person is precisely what they think of themselves. And he says, if we stop thinking about ourselves and think of the other person's good points, we don't have to resort to flattery. And that's the challenge. That's the discipline of our minds, is to actually think about another person instead of ourselves. To start looking for the good qualities in them instead of the, the hurtful qualities. Can I, can I ask you something? How often do you dwell on the flaws of your mate? Don't answer that. They're in the room here. Now compare that to how often you think and you dwell on the strengths and the merits of your spouse. See, that's not their problem, that's our problem. That's not their choice, that's our choice. You and I have a choice that we're gonna dwell either on their flaws or we're gonna dwell on their merits. We're gonna keep dwelling on the things that hurt us or the things that we enjoy about their love. That is a discipline of thinking that every single person in this room that's married has a choice to make every single day. See, the key to a great relationship this is what I've been driving at. This is what Solomon's been doing, is to consistently and sincerely offer appreciation. Consistently, consistently and sincerely offering appreciation. 
Now, it's easy to do when things are going well and it's Valentine's Day, but it's a whole lot harder when things aren't going so good, is it? He's consistent. He showers her with affection and appreciation on the good days as well as the bad days. He does it sincerely. He's not making stuff up. He's put thought into it, and he's calling out a better person than is even before him right there. You say, how do you know that? I told you this language is in chapter 6. We could have read the same verses from chapter 6. What you need to know is in chapter 5, they get into a fight. No one ever fights in marriage, right? They get into an argument. He's coming in from a long day of working in the fields, and he's sweaty, and he stinks, and his funk's coming down the hall before him, right? And back then, they would sleep in different chambers, and so he gets to her bedroom door, and he's kind of like, knock, knock, knock. How about a little, hey there. And she smells them. <laughs> and she says, no, thank you. I got a headache. <laughs> and Solomon has a choice. Instead of getting mad, instead of showing guilt, instead of, instead of any of those things, you know what he does? He leaves a little present on her doorknob, a little package of, of spice and, and perfume. It's a, it's a little offering of love. And he leaves that and he leaves her. She finds the gift, her heart is aroused, and she goes looking for him. And the next scene we see is chapter six, and when she finally meets him, even though he'd just been rejected, the very first thing he does is showers her with compliments. How beautiful you are, my darling. Your eyes are like doves. That, that's not how it normally works in marriage, is it? when we get hurt or we get offended or we get let down or we get frustrated, that we want to reciprocate back or we want to give the silent treatment or we want to make them feel like we feel and we try to come back at them somehow. But that's not what Solomon does. Solomon shows grace. He offers forgiveness. He demonstrates love. You say, how in the world could Solomon do that? It's the same way that you and I can do that. Where the living God lives inside of him, he also lives inside of us. And the God who has shown us his love, can now we can now live in his love and give his love to others freely. And the God who has offered forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ, we know what that forgiveness is. We know what it's like to be guilty and yet set free. And we offer the same forgiveness to the people around us. And the God who has offered us grace, treating us better than we deserve, our sins say we deserve hell and punishment and death, and yet God says, by grace, I give you life and freedom and hope, and I give it to you freely. And so now you can offer grace to each other. Solomon was moved by the power of the Spirit of God inside of him to love her like he had been loved through God. And guys, that's the same way if you and I are gonna be a, have a marriage that is honoring God, that gets through the rough patches, that holds on in the hard times, that's how it's gonna work is that we call on the resources of heaven and say, God, would you do a movement in my heart and help me to love them like you've loved me. So I thought this was about romance. It is. 
It is. Because here's the deal. Here's your other fill in the blank. A great romance always flows from a healthy relationship. Great romance always flows through healthy relationship. It's a response to emotional intimacy. When you and I are intimately involved with our spouse, then the physical intimacy flows from that emotional connection. It's not the other way around. Man, every movie and, and, uh, and story you read, you know, in these novels and stuff, it's, it's turned. They, they make it look like sexuality is a thermostat that you can just dial up and dial down anytime. That's not how it works. Sexuality is more like a, a thermometer. It doesn't change the temperature of our relationship. It measures the temperature of our relationship. And if we're lacking in physical intimacy, it's likely because we're lacking in emotional intimacy with our spouse. And so we work on our relationship and intimacy flows from that. Romance flows from that. Life flows from that. You want proof for that? She finally gets to speak in verse 16. For 15 verses, he goes on and on about her beauty and her character and her qualities, and he elevates her and he lifts her up, and she finally says, Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. She says, I'm open to you. I'm receptive to you. Her garden is her body and her sexuality. And she says, I want to give myself to you because you have loved me well. I want to respond to your kindness and gentleness and tenderness and sincerity and the grace, the way you, you bring out the best in me. You're not contrived. You're not controlling. You're not demanding. You make me feel special and beautiful. And because you make me feel special and beautiful, I long to be close to you. You know, in, um, in marriage, our, um, <clears throat> our conversations can be like a tennis match. And when it's going wrong, you're both at the net looking for the kill shot. I mean, you're just swinging, trying to get one in on the other guy. But the way it ought to work is like tennis. But you're looking for a nice volley together. You know what I mean? Everybody play tennis? And just looking for a nice volley that you're knocking it back and forth and, and just real easy shots. And it kind of looks like this. If you and I get this right and we begin to develop intimacy like this and learn how to compliment each other, you go, boy, you sure look nice tonight. Boop. She goes, thank you. Boop, boop. You know, yeah, I really like that dress. Boop, boop. She goes, oh, this old thing? Boop, boop. <laughs> go, yeah, I like how it brings out your eyes. Boop, boop. That's a good line, by the way. She goes, oh, thank you. Boop, boop. And you get a little verbal sparring, a little verbal back and forth. And you're developing intimacy with one another. It reminds me of a, uh, this whole subject does, it reminds me of a, a story I heard about a couple that had gone on a cruise. They'd been married 15 or so years and saved up money and finally got to go on a cruise together. 
And they get on board and they realize their luggage had been lost and they're just going to have to make do with what they were wearing and a few things that the ship had. And, and she's distraught and upset. And he's like, man, this is our big getaway. And she, he's like, let's make the most of it. It's okay. It's, it's going to be all right. We'll have a great time together. Don't sweat it. She's like, I know you're right, and I should just move on, but I, I need to tell you something. I, I had picked out this, this nightie and bought it and had brought it, and I was going to show it and wear it for you the first time tonight. That guy goes straight to the captain's deck and says, if you guys don't find our luggage, <laughs> you're all going to die. <laughs> and that's how we should feel about each other. Give and take. Give and take. Man, I read, I read, read this off of a, one of our members' Facebook posts, asked for permission to share it. Bridget Clark had said this a few months back. She said, I had the best weekend with my love of my life. It was a much-needed one-on-one quality time in Chattanooga. Thank you, Harold Clark, for making it so special. Love you the most, Bridget. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. That's what God desires. For every one of our marriages, whether you're in it today or looking forward to it in the future, God desires for you to enjoy marriage in this way. And every single one of us long to get there. But can I tell you, in my experience, in plenty of marriage counseling, that so often, and even in my own heart, we get stuck in the past. We dwell on the hurts of the past, the things that have been said or not said, the things that have been done or not done, and resentment builds up in our hearts, and it's hard to break through that, and we feel like we can't move forward and have a relationship like this. And if you're stuck in the past, that's exactly right. My challenge for you, if that's where you are today, is to not wait. Don't wait for them to say, I'm sorry. You be the one to say you're sorry. Don't wait for your emotions to come back, that you feel like saying the things you need to say. You say them as a discipline because you chose to love them, not just feel like you love them. Your choice today may be to find a fresh start in your relationship, moving on from the past hurts and starting fresh and doing it this way and telling each other how you really feel about each other. Can I tell you, I had this conversation with a couple in our church about a year ago. They had past hurts and resentments that had built up over time. And as we're wrestling through and they're both hurt and frustrated with one another, I said, you can keep dwelling on that or you can move forward today and choose to forgive each other of all that and start fresh and new today and love each other the way God intended. Can I tell you about a year ago they did that? And it has been an absolute joy over the past year to watch their marriage bloom, blossom. They post about each other on Facebook, bragging about the other all the time. Why? They let the past go. And they started new in Christ. Maybe today you need to start this habit of appreciation where you realize you need to pour blessing and encouragement and praise into your spouse, systematically, consistently, sincerely showing appreciation. Amen. If we do this right, there ought to be a baby boom about nine months from now. You know, you say, and I would love to have love and forgiveness and grace show up in my relationships. I would love to see those things be true about me, but I struggle to do those things. And there could be a reason for that struggle. 
You see, if you've not experienced the love of a heavenly father, then you don't have love to give somebody else. If you've never experienced the love of a heavenly father, it's hard to love others when things are hard. If you've never experienced the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, that he willingly laid his life down for you, and he loved you and offered forgiveness to you freely through his sacrifice, it is hard to show love and forgiveness to someone else until you've experienced his forgiveness. And it's very difficult to show grace and not treat someone like their actions deserve, but you can treat them better than their actions deserve because you realize God has treated you better than your actions deserve and his grace has become a reality in your life. And because you know what it feels like to know grace, you long to extend grace to others. See, all that can only happen through a relationship with God. And can I say, if you don't know that you have that relationship with your heavenly father. Today, I want to invite you to do so. You pray with me. <coughs> God, we thank you that there's a love that transcends any relationship on this planet. That we can know love on a different level, on a different plane, and a different depth, and a different breadth. Because you demonstrated your love you didn't just say you loved us. You willingly went to a torturous cross to show us you loved us. Your love brings about forgiveness. Your love brings about grace. And God, if there's anyone in this room that needs to experience those things, either for the first time but or afresh, God, remind them of what you did for them on a cross, how you rose from the dead to bring them life. God, in this moment, help them recognize that you, are, you love them, you forgive them through your son, Jesus. If they need to receive that love for the first time, can just call on the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, I believe your love is enough. I'm asking for forgiveness and for your grace to come into my life. I want to know you, this great God that loves me and forgives me and gives life. And Father, I pray that for our marriages today. That we would not fall victim to apathy or indifference. But God, that we could have a fresh start today. If anyone in this room has been suffering from the thoughts of the past and the hurts of the past, God, would they call on your name today to set them free and to start fresh, to choose to forgive their spouse like you've forgiven them. And God, I pray you burden us and build a practice in us that we show sincere appreciation on the good days and on the bad days. God, we show love and express love whether they deserve it and on the days that they don't. God, would you bless the marriages and the families in this room, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.